Lord, thank you that your name is powerful, that we are your people, whether we feel that, maybe whether we recognize that. You have not rejected us, but you have accepted us because of Jesus. I thank you for that. I thank you that we are yours and you have given yourself to us. I pray that the meditations of our hearts and the words of our mouths this morning would be acceptable in your sight for you are our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus, we pray this. Amen. Please go ahead and take a seat. We're in a series here at Restoration on how people change. And we're talking about what things bring change to our lives, what parts of the church, what actions of God change us. And Jen shared last week powerfully about how God has changed her deeply and how the Holy Spirit is involved in that change. This morning, I'm going to share with you some of my journey in terms of how community helps us to change, how community helps us to change. That's why we did communion together kind of as a small expression of, of how, who we are as, as a community of believers, how we're tied with each other, and how God and the Holy Spirit moves between and in and around and through us. What mostly I'm going to share this morning, uh, I'm going to call Christian community. It's going to be a little bit different for some of you because I'm mostly probably not talking about church on Sunday this morning. Most of the change in my life, I celebrate God's change on Sunday morning. But most of the change that has come deep in my life has happened outside of this time, outside of this box. I know it's an overused phrase, but I'm going to talk about faith outside of the box. Notice everything is boxy in here. And you go outside the doors to the outer world and... There's not many boxes. There's a lot of boxes rolling around on wheels and things, but God's world is, is out mostly outside of this box, outside of here. When we come together as the church here, it's good. We celebrate. We acknowledge what God has done. But it's when we go outside of the walls. It's when we break out of here and we go away from the box, and we stop sitting and we start being a part of each other's lives, that's when things transform us. I would like to bring up uh, Acts chapter 2. So this is another uh, help for why, when I talk about community this morning, as I share my journey, I'm going to talk a lot about community, and this is very much 
more what I'm talking about than I would say than, than Sunday mornings. Not that they're separate, but this is bigger. So Acts chapter 2, 44 through 46 says this. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions and to give to anyone who was in need. Every day, every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread together in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Every day. When I was thinking about this sermon, I was counting the number of years that I have lived in what I call an intentional Christian community. And I figured that it's somewhere between 27 and 30 years that I have actually lived something like this life with other Christians. And it has transformed me radically. You look at me today and you may see whatever you see, but I didn't used to be this way. In fact, you, you might see some things that you say, oh, that's, that's a weakness in him. But you should have seen me before, way back. Um, I'm, intensely, uh, I'm intensely introverted. And you wouldn't know it. I mean, you might know it, but you wouldn't totally know how introverted I am. When I take, uh, there's a personality test called the Myers-Briggs test. When I took that test, I was 20 of 20 introvert. I didn't even have any extrovert on, on any side. I was completely on the introvert side. And that's how I grew up as a kid. I, I lived a very isolated childhood, a lot because we didn't mix with people. As uh, When I was a kid, uh, we played in the backyard, me and my brother and sister. And uh, so I was very introverted, very much alone. And I was okay with that. I, I like being that way. Um, when I became a Christian, I started interacting with people more. And that was good. I felt good at the time. I felt like this is a good thing. I, I, I need people who will support me and love me and pour into my life. But it took a long time for me to adjust to being a part of a community. My prayer, probably for the first six years of my Christian life, I, I was in the, uh, the state of believing, you know, what we've talked about here that, that it's not really taught in the Bible, but I was believing at that time in the rapture, and, and I was waiting for the rapture, and, and uh, so when the rapture would come, and God would take all his people up to heaven, and the, the earth would be abandoned, and, and everybody would be up there praising God, but my prayer was, God, when that happens, leave me down here. I'll take care of the earth for you. I'll make sure all the animals get their, you know, get what they need, and I'll make sure the plants are going good. Please leave me down here. I just wanted to be alone. I didn't want to be with a bunch of people. But God has slowly worked on me because he knows I need people. I didn't know I need people. I, I, I just thought people hurt me, people reject me, people don't care about me, I don't need them. 
And, and, and you, you've probably heard the philosopher Sartre, I think he once said, hell is other people. And that's where I was. That's where I was. And sometimes I still there. <laughs> but, and some of you probably are too. But God began to change me. One of the things that really transformed me early on was once I started becoming a part of the youth group at this church where I became a Christian, I started uh, after I grew up in the high school group, some of us moved out together and we lived together in apartments and at one time when we were in a house, there was a, 10 of us living in a house together, 10 guys. It was, it was very wild. <laughs> But they were Christians. We were all believers. We lived together. We shared life together. We broke down the... This house was actually condemned and was supposed to be torn down. So we had sword fights in the house and stabbed through the doors and wrestled and threw each other through the walls. And so we did a lot of that. But we also shared life together. Well, during this time... Uh, I was a very secretive person, even though I lived with these 10 guys. I was mostly secretive. And I was involved in, in a secret sin. And I was uh, having relations or uh, sex with my now wife, Kelly. And we were just boyfriend and girlfriend. And she got pregnant. And I was part of the church. I was actually part of the youth group as a leader. And everything came crashing down. And I had a choice to make at that time. And some of my friends were saying, just leave the church, just go away somewhere. You don't have to marry this girl. You don't have to take responsibility for this. Just go. But the majority of my community, the church, was saying, you need to go confess this before the youth group and before the church. That was a transition point for me. That's where community hit the road. It wasn't something where I sit in a pew and I look at somebody's back of somebody's head. This was somebody saying to me, you need to share this deep secret with your brothers and sisters. You need to shed your, open your soul before them. And I had a choice to make. And, I, and that day I made the choice to go ahead and confess my sin before the church. One of the hardest things I've ever done was, I don't know how people understood me because I was crying so much. But that day, confession became a part of who I am. Confession between brothers and sisters. In the book of James, James says this. Confess your sins. Therefore, confess your sins one to another. And pray for one another that you may be healed. I confessed my sins to a group of youth and church members bigger than this. And it changed me. That's how community changed me initially. One way it changed me kind of as a side effect of this was that after I confessed before the church, I realized how many people in the church had secret sin that they we're struggling with, guess what? They all came to me to confess. I'm just, I mean, people are pulling me aside and they're saying, I gotta tell you something. It broke the dam. 
People were confessing sins, the same sins that I had. And I was the one that was kind of the scapegoat in a weird way, but it enabled the church to start confessing as well. So I decided to stay in the community and not outside of the community with my sin. Kelly and I soon got married. We sent out uh, 30 invitations thinking, okay, our family's gonna be there and nobody else is gonna be there. And we got to the church uh, that we were part of on the day of the wedding and uh, I was in the back with a pastor praying and I was stressed so, I was just so stressed and so ashamed of what had happened. And the pastor took us, brought us out into the congregation before Kelly was coming down the aisle. And as I came out, there was 500 people in the church. I had confessed before the church and the whole church had forgiven me for my sin. I still, it was really hard to bear. I just still could not handle it. I looked down the whole time during our wedding. I was just looking down. My head was hanging low because my shame was still there even though I had confessed. But that was a beautiful expression of the community of grace. Soon after we were married, uh, the odds were not good for our marriage. People were not giving us much of a chance. We were not giving each other much of a chance. Uh, so we were, in, in a sense, doomed if we didn't have a community around us. But within three months of our being married, uh, six couples from the church, six young couples, decided to move in next to each other. So everybody got together, and they all decided to rent these these duplexes, two-bedroom duplexes on this little cul-de-sac. And they're, they're five, there were five couples, and they're like, who else can we invite? And so they invited Kelly and I. And we're like, oh, I don't know. These are so run down. And blah, 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 blah. But praise God that we accepted. Once we got all the cockroaches out of the house and we moved in, these people showed us how to be parents, they showed us how to be husband and wife. And one of the main ways that I was transformed in that community of living next door to brothers and sisters on a daily basis, eating on regular basis with each other, sharing goods with each other, was this song that we used to sing together. You may have heard it. It's back, back in the day. It was, uh, Thou, O Lord, are a shield How's it go? Thou a shield about me. You're my glory. You're the lifter of my head. I did sing. Who said I wasn't going to sing? <laughs> wow, that's the first time I've ever done that. But we sang that, that song a lot. And that song had particularly deep meaning for me because being with brothers and sisters on a daily basis and them pouring into me God's love and God's encouragement over four years, we were there for four years, it lifted my head. I had hung my head so much in shame, so much in shame 
like that song, if you ever heard this song by Johnny Cash about this guy who hangs his head, that's how I felt. I hung my head. But over the four years, people were pushing and helping and encouraging me, my head back up. And so I was able to walk with my head up instead of down. We then moved to seminary where we lived with other Christians who were practicing and preparing to be pastors and leaders. And we lived in an apartment building with them. And I think the, the thing that that community did for me most and how it changed me was it gave me a profound respect and love for God's word. All day long, I was with these people who were living around me. We were in classrooms together, struggling and wrestling and talking about God's word and trying to figure out what it actually meant and how it actually would influence the church. And so in that community, I learned to love God's word. Another thing that happened to me in that community was once I got my head up, if you... I'm kind of a hyper person. My whole mentality in my life is very frenetic, if you know me. That's why I do a lot of things. But I was, that, I was even more that way. I used to even be more that way. And when we had a, we had a meeting one time in the seminary, and, and the, the, the professors were saying, we want you to say what instrument you feel like. What musical instrument do you feel like? And so I thought about it, and I'm like, I feel like this... I feel like a violin, and I feel like God is just going like this, because I felt like God was using me, and he was doing so much, but I just felt like I couldn't slow down, and I, after that, I talked to one of the prof professors and said, I just feel like God is using me, and I, I, I like it because I love God, but I, I don't know if he's for me, or if he just used me to get to people and tell people about the gospel. After some counseling with that professor and with my wife and some other people in that community, it came to a head one day. We had talked with this uh, professor. I went home and I was struggling with it. And I'm like, I, I don't know if I should listen to this community about who I am. I just don't know what this means for me. He had really dug deep into where I, I lived. And I was laying on the couch in our apartment, and Kelly was cooking some cook, baking some cookies or something in the kitchen. And I yelled out to Kelly, and I said, I had a Bible, and I said, I'm just going to read this whole Bible until I find the, what God is talking to me about. I was so frustrated. God's talking to me, but I don't know what it is. I'm just going to read this whole Bible. And she's laughing in the kitchen like, yeah, okay, go ahead, Dad. And she keeps baking, and I open the Bible, you know, just anger. Okay, God, boom, and I just open it right, and I just start in the middle. And I opened it to Psalm 57. And in Psalm 57, it says this. I cry out to God most high, to God who vindicates me. He sends from heaven and saves me. He rebukes those who hotly pursue me. He sends forth his love and his faithfulness. Notice the me's in this passage. Those kept pounding my heart. God said, Dan, I am for you. You can say God loves me, not just God loves the world. 
because that community persistently talked to me about this, I changed from being a person that thought, well, God is going to use me till I die, to a person that say, thinks God loves me. God is coming for me. When we, uh, later we, while we were in seminary, I had felt a call to go and live with the poor. And if I'm, if I'm going to understand the Bible, I, I knew that I had to understand who the poor are because a lot of the Bible talks about the poor. So I wanted to go experience that community. So I talked, uh, well, we prayed. I prayed Kelly into going to Mexico City with me and my, our kids went with us. And we went and lived in a squatter's neighborhood in Mexico City. And we intentionally moved into a neighborhood and said, we are going to live with these people in community. Now, they weren't necessarily part of my church. Most of them were Catholics. Most of them were not from the faith that I was from, but we were there, and they were there. And we had something to teach each other, somehow, some way to change each other. We were there for a year, and actually, the thing that changed in my life, and I think in my whole family's life, was that we became people of hospitality. We experienced more hospitality in one year in Mexico City than I have experienced in my whole life, still to this day. People took us in, they fed us, they cared for us, they watched out for us, they fed us again, and they fed us again. When we left there, my kids were kids, people of hospitality. My wife was much more a person of hospitality. I was about hospitality. We were profoundly changed in that time by that community. And we are still profoundly, our life revolves around hospitality for us. After Mexico, finished up seminary, uh, went back to Ronald Court where we were for four years where we had first gotten married. We went back there after seminary and the people of the community had changed. There was only one couple that was still there from when we were there before, but there were other people there. There was a couple from Germany there, Klaus Peter and Magda, who lived next door to us. We moved back into this community. We said, we want to be a part of this community again and do some more intentional living. Uh, like it says in Acts, we want to share goods. We, wanna, we want to be in each other's lives. We want to be transformed together and do discipleship together. So in this, one of the things that happened was as I was working at this job, pushing or retrieving shopping carts that have gone astray, I would get them and put them in a truck and bring them back. Uh, I met some people that I wouldn't normally meet that are on the street, that are crack addicts, that are prostitutes. And anyway, this is a long story that I don't want to tell. I want to tell the side of how this community helped with this. In the long run, one of these people, actually more than one, came to live with us in our house. But we were not alone. We had six other couples, six other families around us that were 
working with us, being involved with this person who we were trying to help, who were caring for us, putting money forth, putting prayers forth. We were all working together to follow Jesus. I think sometimes we think that everything's about me individually. When God says, I want you to do this, you got to do that. A lot of our songs are all I, 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 I. But Jesus is all about we, 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 we. He doesn't take each individual disciple off to the side and give him communion by himself and then take this one off to the side and give him communion. He gives it to them together. He lets them follow him together. That's what community is. A, a, a daily life of believers living together. And this might be hard to grasp if you haven't experienced it. Anyway, this, that community where we reached out and had people in our homes reminded me of Matthew 25. It actually made this clear to me what this means. In Matthew 25, Jesus tells a parable about the sheep and the goats. And in part of it, he says, then the king will say to those on his right, come you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, your, the kingdom prepared the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothing, and you clothed me. And I was sick, and you looked after me. And I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Next time you read this passage, take the you and say you all. You all came to visit me in prison. You all fed me. You all gave me drink. You all clothed me. Because this is about what the church is supposed to be. This is about the community, you all. Not me individually. And we at the Ronald Court, phase two, I would say, we work together to care for Jesus in the people that were on the street. I'm gonna share a couple more examples of times when we went back to Mexico again after Ronald Corp. And when we were in Mexico, I met a friend named Adrian, who I would still claim is my best friend to this day. He's a Mexican that lives in Yucatan He's kind of, he remind, if you saw him, he'd remind you of the man from La Mancha. A lot of the statues and drawings of the man from La Mancha has got a beard that goes down like this, very skinny, and you could see if he was holding like a, a sword or a spear, he'd look like he was barely holding on to it. Very, he's a very skinny guy, but a, fa a fantastic guy. Anyway, we had had all this experience in community. We moved to Yucatan. I was going to teach in a seminary. Adrian and his wife, Edna, we were talking one day, and I said, you know, why don't you, there's a house for rent next to our house. These were these little houses, and I'm like, why don't you move into the house next door? And they're like, okay, let's do it. So they moved in next door to us for two years. And we shared life with Adrian and Edna for two years. It wasn't always easy. All this stuff is never always easy.
rub against each other. You know what it's like just having a brother or sister or a wife or a husband. You rub against each other the wrong way. You have to forgive. You have to be patient. You have to ask people to forgive you and be patient with you. But if you're willing to do this, if you're willing to mix up your life more with Christians on a daily basis, it will change you. It has changed me profoundly. I think with Adrian, I would say that the way it changed me is it gave me probably the deepest spiritual friendship that I could ever have. It reminded me of David and Jonathan and how Jonathan loved David. And I know Adrian loved me and I loved Adrian in a way that was profoundly due to Jesus. Since then, we've we lived in a community after that that was in San Francisco. One of the things about doing community and living with people or attempting to experiment living with people is it is hard. And when we moved to San Francisco after Mexico, we lived there for seven years with an established community where we actually shared houses. We had these big row houses and people would live in your house also. <laughs> and it could be very tough at times. And it was a very hard place for me. It was a very good place for my wife, Kelly very encouraging, very uplifting for her. But as a leader, I did not mix well with the other leaders. And we clashed and they were threatened by me and, and I felt rejected by them. And it was a long road and in that road I made some very poor decisions on, for myself, very poor decisions in relationships and things. And the deepest part of that, and I've shared this before when I talked about Jonah, we could put up the passage of Jonah, and the deepest part of that was very, very dark place for me. But I want to tell you this because community can not only change you in, by the easy and loving and uplifting stuff, it can also change you by the hard, horrible stuff, which there is some of that. When I was at the deepest point, I felt like Jonah said, from inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God. And this was my prayer. I said, in my distress, I call to you, Lord, and you answered me. In the deep, from deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. One of the things that this church is actually a beneficiary of from San Francisco, you, you, in some ways you owe that church. I don't know how to say this, but you owe them for who I am now because I used to be very zealous and very judgmental. And I used to tell people how they had to change for God and how you had to use your money for the right things and, and how bad... American capitalism is and the way the church is going downhill and I was very much a zealous prophet but that time in the darkness in that community 
changed me. I'm not idealistic. I'm not, it mellowed me in a very good way. God took that hard crown of thorns and he made me into a person that could talk to you about the same things. I'm not going to stop talking about money and capitalism and, the, and how the church should be different, but in a different way, from the bottom up, not the top down. I encourage you, if you're at, at least intrigued by this topic of community, to break out of the box that is Sunday morning and start spending significant time and looking for ways to live with other Christians throughout the week. Maybe even move next to each other or share some significant part of your life together. It will change you, and mostly, I think, for the better. When I came uh, to Restoration, uh, we had not, we had, after San Francisco, we had actually lived with a couple different families over the years. Uh, we lived with some friends in Denver, with Brian and Carrie, before they moved uh, out east. Uh, fantastic experience for us. But when I came to Restoration, it was only Kelly and I living in the house. And no one was living next to us that we knew that were Christians. And I was a little bit uh, down because I didn't know where my ministry was supposed to be. And I kept praying to God, God, I pray that you give me a Barnabas. You know, Paul had a Barnabas who went and got him from the desert and brought him back to the church and said, here's Paul. Listen to him. And that's what I wanted. I wanted God to give me a Barnabas. I'm like, God, I don't see my Barnabas. Where is he? I prayed for like three or four years. Waiting for Barnabas, Lord. And Barnabas never really showed up. And then one day, I felt like God was saying to me, Dan, I want you to be Barnabas. You're at restoration. You be the encourager. You lift up your brother. You help them communicate the message. You bring them and say, listen to them. Again, changed by community. Now I'm more of a Barnabas here than, than a Paul. I share all of this with you because this has changed me profoundly. I would have been, without all of this community, I would have been out in the wilderness by myself somewhere, soaking in the sun which I still like to do occasionally, but I would not have made it a life, I have not made it a lifestyle. I've made a lifestyle of pursuing other believers and following Jesus. I wanna finish by reading a parable to you that one of the, my friends in this church uh, sent me something similar, and uh, Randy, and he's wanted to talk about it, and I've been wrestling with it but I wanted to share it with you at, at the end here. This is from Soren Kierkegaard, who be careful, if, if you're interested in him, watch out. <laughs> you start reading him, it'll change you too. <laughs> anyway, 
he gives this parable. Imagine that geese could talk and that they had planned things in such a way that they too had their divine worship services. Every Sunday they gathered together and a goose preached. Think of Ryan. I had to get you, Ryan. Every Sunday, okay, and the goose preached. The gist of the sermon was as follows. What a high destiny geese have. To what high goal the creator. And every time this word was mentioned, the geese curtsied and bowed, the ganders bowed their heads. What a high goal the creator had appointed geese. With the help of their wings, they could fly away to distant regions, blessed regions, where they really had their homes. For here, for here they were but aliens and sojourners. It was this way every Sunday. Afterwards, the assembly dispersed and everyone waddled home to his family. And so the church again next Sunday... They waddled back and then home again. And that was the end of it. They flourished and grew fat and became plump and delicate and were eaten on St. Martin's Eve. And that was the end of it. Yes, that was the end of it. Although the Sunday discourse was so very lofty, on Monday, the geese would dis discuss with each other what had happened to the goose who had wanted to really use his wings according to the high goal set before it. What happened to it? What horrors it had endured? Of course, the geese would not talk about it on Sunday. That, after all, was not appropriate. Such talk would make a fool out of God and themselves. Still, there were a few individual geese among them who looked poorly and grew thin. The other geese said among themselves, there you see what happens when you take seriously this business of wanting to fly. Because they harbor the idea of wanting to fly, they get thin and do not prosper and do not have God's grace as we have it and become plump and fat and delicate. For by the grace of God, one becomes plump and fat and delicate. And I want to share the last part on the screen with you where Soren brings it home to the church. And he says, so it is with our Christian worship services. We too have wings. We have imagination intended to help us actually rise aloft. But we play allow our imagination to amuse itself in an hour of Sunday daydreaming. And in reality, however, we stay right where we are. And on Monday, regard it as a proof that God's grace gets us plump and fat and delicate. That is, we accumulate money. We get to be somebody in the world, beget children, become successful, and so forth. And those who actually get involved with God and who therefore suffer and have torments and troubles and grief 
of those we say, here's proof that they do not have the grace of God. Brothers and sisters, I hope that someday we will say that we tried to fly, and in particular that you will try to fly in relationship and community with other brothers and sisters, maybe here, maybe somewhere else, that you will share life with them. It may make you suffer. It may make you thin. I mean, look at... But it could also lift you to the heights of God's grace. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you that you made us to be people that share life with each other. Of course, we sinned and we left you and we were ashamed and we ran away and We've gone the other direction, but I pray that you draw us back through Jesus and what he says about the body, about the church and who we are, that we would be drawn back to connect with each other, to live with each other, to serve with each other, to cry with each other, to rejoice with each other, to be a part of each other. And so by that means that we would grow into your image, Jesus, and become like you, because you are in community with the Father and the Spirit every day of every year, of every century of eternity. Make us like you. We pray this, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Thank you, Dan, for that ominous parable think that will stick with us and you are a prophet and you are a Barnabas for us and we love you thank you for your message this morning uh, we have some exciting things in this next month or so out on the info cart if all of you could just go check out the info cart everything you need is right there um, uh, Arvada High School needs we have a little printout for you some of us some of you have contacted us already wanting to help um, and there's a very specific list of their needs out there we're partnering with them this month there's a ladies' Christmas party this Saturday, December 1st. Oh, we're going to collect our offering as I'm talking. <laughs> you can go ahead, ladies. Um, this, this Saturday, December 1st, and we want to get you a personal invitation, which is also at the info cart, but me and Jean and Aubrey will also try to catch you. Um, we are partnering with a new church plant called Renuevo Covenant the same day, next Saturday, December 1st, from 10 to 1. They're having a big celebration to celebrate their children and really reach their community. I can't see any of you. I'm going to trip. Um, so if you are interested in helping, we'll be helping with a multitude of things. It'll be a really fun day. Would you talk to Ryan or I or email us? That's this next Saturday. Newcomer's lunch next Sunday. You can bring your kids. We'll feed you. Uh, we want to get you plugged in here and let you know what's happening. Christmas Eve Eve, the 23rd, we will not have a Sunday service. We'll meet that evening at 5, and we'll have some pretty handouts for you soon to invite your friends and family. And then this book, if you remember last fall, we did the Immerse series. Um, this, this year, it's more of an Old Testament chronicles, and you can get together. Get together in groups. There's a reading plan. There's questions. It's all set up for you. Um, Trent and I 
began one of our most meaningful relationships last year going over this book. It's very simple. So they are on sale. We're, they're $10, and you can pay today. If you come over to the info cart, we'll take cards and swipe you and get you going. So have a great Sunday. Goodbye. <laughs>